The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. In fact, if you look at the Bible, the entire, what's, what's the overarching message of the Bible? Well, it's worship. It's the glory of God. Uh, it's, it's in Genesis. It's all the way through to Revelation. It is, it is this picture of God is the one who is altogether glorious and worthy of our praise. Uh, and so this whole series, it, our worship shows up in the songs we sing. And I'm so thankful for our musicians and the way they lead us. But it also shows up in what we value. Uh, things like our money and our time and, and, uh, and, and our, our Bibles uh, and, and the church. And today I want to speak to you about the church and, and whether we love God the way that we should in the way that we love his church. Uh, you know, the, the Bible calls the church the bride of Christ. And uh, the Bible speaks of that Jesus loved the church so much that he died for the church, that he died for his bride. I mean, what better love story could there be than that? I mean, Hallmark would have nothing on that story, right? Uh, there's, not a, there's not a Hollywood script anywhere that would have anything on that story that Jesus, the ultimate Savior of the world, laid down his life for his bride, the church. And so this is a beautiful story. And today in the text... Uh, just to give you some context before we look at the actual verses, um, Paul is writing there to the church in Ephesus in the book of Ephesians about unity. And uh, in verses, I won't read them, but uh, in those first uh, six verses or so in, uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, um, he, he, he speaks of that there is there's, you know, one body and one bond of peace. There, there's one spirit and, and there's one baptism and one Lord and all those things. And it's this unity that's being pictured there. But then quickly, as we'll look at today, he moves from the unity, this one unified body, to these, this diverse congregation that is made up of individuals. And then you're going to see at the close of that, he moves from, from this unified body, then looking to the diverse group of individuals, and then it flows back into unity. And the reason I point that out to you at the beginning is because when we look around at our world, this is not the picture that we see in the world. We, we hear our world probably more than any time in, in human history preaching uh, diversity and tolerance and, and acceptance of all these things. But can you think of a time anywhere, any, anywhere in history that we have been more divided and less unified than we are probably right now? Now, certainly there are times when we've been very divided, but it, it doesn't seem that there's been this much preaching of diversity and, and, and we ought to be together and, and tolerance and these sort of things that produces so little. So it's, it's in that framework that I want us to see this passage today of what the world is, is saying and what God has designed, okay? So that's what I want us to see today as, as we look at this. Um, in, in God's economy, he has designed specifically that, uh, that the church be unified, but it be unified as a body of individuals who are very diverse, but they come together around and through the cross to produce a unity that is uncommon in this world. Now, I'll say at the outset, I'm going to stand here not as just some preacher that's easy to say certain things from up here. It is easier to say this sometimes than for me to give you examples of this. Many of you have come out of churches where you've been hurt and you've been wounded and you've seen anything but unity in the church. And you say, how is the church any different than what I'm seeing in the world? Because, man, there, there is, is as much fighting there as anywhere. To which I would say, I've seen some of that firsthand myself, but it ought not be that way. It's not God's design. I've, I've seen, I've been in those business meetings. I shared this a couple weeks ago. I've been in those business meetings where the, where the police had to be called. Uh, I've sat in that business meeting where a woman screamed from the back row and called the moderator the devil in the green jacket. I've been there. And it's not pretty. But I would say to you that it's not how God designed it either. And what we want to see is God's design. And then, then take a look inside at ourselves and say, am I loving the church, the bride of Christ, the way God would have me to? So let's look at our passage today, and we'll walk through this together. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. 
Verse 8, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Notice how many times we're receiving these gifts from Christ. Verse 9, in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the earth, above the heavens, that he might fill all things. In verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I want to walk through these verses today and just show you a few, um, perhaps, revelations from God Himself. Uh, First is this, God has given everything we need. When we look at the church and we look at what we're called to do here and, and will the church succeed and will this church succeed, we can't walk, we, we can't step back and say, well, he's not given what we need. God has indeed given everything we need to be successful here as one of his churches. Now, God has different plans for different bodies in different locations, but we cannot look at this and say we don't have what we need. It, it's not like when I start a project at the house, remodel a bathroom, you know, or something like that, and I step back, I don't have what I need. So I go to Lowe's for the 14th time, right? Because I'm not a good planner. We can't do that because God has given us everything that we need. It's what it is meant here in verse 7 when it said, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. He doesn't skimp. In fact, I want you to see the design and I want you to notice the progression in God building and developing this thing called the church. He hasn't cut any corners. The progression starts in, there in verse 11 when, with the apostles. That God gave the apostles, and the apostles were those that planted the church. They were men who were specifically commissioned by Jesus himself, and they had seen visibly with their eyes the resurrected Jesus personally. These are the apostles that are laid out for us in Scripture. They planted the churches, and they laid the foundation for the church with their writings. It's where our New Testament comes from. So we see the Bible being highlighted here. Not only that, but but it says that God also gave not just the apostles, but he gave the prophets. The Old Testament prophets specifically, they also had laid the foundation of the church And Paul here, by pointing out not only the apostles, that God gave the apostles to the church, but also the prophets, Paul is pointing to the fact that Scripture is important. That he's given this whole picture, this whole counsel of God's Word, that it's not simply that we are to be New Testament churches, but Paul says to us that God, when, when, when designing and building the church, has given us the apostles and the prophets, meaning the New Testament and the Old Testament. God says, my word will be sufficient. My word will be at the center of building the church. My Sunday school class, I don't know if your Sunday school teacher said this today, but uh, on the board, Eric Austin in in my class had, had written, biblical community must be centered on God's word. And I thought, I I sat down, and and after studying for this sermon, I sat down and I looked up at the board and I saw that written on the board and I thought, how good is God? to tie those, the, the Sunday school lesson from the Gospel Project written somewhere else a long time ago to tie it so closely to the sermon that he had had me to bring today. That the Word of God must be central. The community of God, biblical community, must be centered on God's Word. And that's what Paul's saying, that God has given us the apostles and the prophets 
But he doesn't stop there. Jesus has given us everything we need. He goes on and he says that the church was expanded by the evangelists. Now, how many of you grew up in, in a church? You were kind of in a church. Uh, if, you, if, if that's not you, that's okay. But uh, some of you will tell stories about how you were in church. Man, you don't remember a time when you weren't in church. You were in church nine months before you were born. All those things. And for you, an evangelist, you hear this word and it conjures up images of a man who would show up uh, either in the spring or in the fall. And he had about two different suits. And he had about three different sermons. And he would just travel around preaching those. Well, that's not what it's being it's, it's talked about here, okay? Um, when it says that God gave the evangelists, now I believe God has used many of those men. Uh, I was helped, I, I particularly remember uh, a, a, a revival service. I remember revivals, revival services. I remember a revival service when I was a kid in the old sanctuary, the First Baptist Church of Sevierville, Tennessee, and, and the, the evangelist that came to be our speaker for the week uh, just thought he was the coolest guy in the world because he took a time out in the middle of, before he started preaching, and he brought all the kids up to the steps, and he would do these like weird science experiments and relate some biblical principle to it, and I just thought that was the coolest thing in the world. I remember him taking a, an old glass Coke bottle and, and taking an egg and somehow getting that egg to go into the bottle and I don't remember what his point was, but it was just really cool. It, was, it made an impression on me, right? This is not necessarily what God is here referring to. In the Bible, Paul here is referring to men like Philip and Stephen and Timothy. If you'll remember, Acts, I think it's Acts chapter 8. I could be wrong on that, but um, I, Philip told the Ethiopian eunuch, uh, the good news about Jesus Christ. And the Ethiopian eunuch was saved, and he, was, he, was, he knew about baptism, and he said, look, there's water here. Why should I wait? And they went immediately and baptized him. Stephen uh, was the, the very first martyr who preached the gospel, and it cost him his life. You remember the story there of, of Stephen preaching boldly the, the, the good news of Jesus, his, being, his, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and, uh, and him being killed by stoning as a result, and him looking up and seeing Jesus standing to welcome him into the presence of God. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5, As for you, Timothy, who was also a pastor of a local church, but he said to Timothy, As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So what God is saying here is that God gave the, the apostles and the prophets, and he gave these evangelists that took the message, the good news, and they proclaimed the good news of Jesus as revealed to them and in Scripture, and the church was expanded. The church went places that, that it had never gone before because of men who were willing, like Stephen, to give even their lives for the sake of those who had not yet heard. Which got me thinking, aren't you thankful for the person who was the evangelist in your life? For me, growing up in East Tennessee, I, I had two real godly influences on my life early on as a child. I had more than that, but these are the two that stick out to me, and I've shared openly with you about my grandfather who passed away earlier, um, uh, less than a year ago now. Um, the other was my mother. And I remember eight years old, uh, coming to, to hear the gospel. I'd heard it all my life. I was one of those that had been in church my mom was the pastor's secretary, and so I was always at church. Um, but at eight years old, I came to the point where I realized that I personally had sinned against God and that my sin condemned me rightfully before God, that he was holy and I was not. And, and he couldn't tolerate my sinfulness. And if I wanted to spend and uh, if I wanted to be with him, I, I, I couldn't have my sin and be with him in, in, the, same, uh, in the same way. And so I knew that, that these stories of Jesus coming and living as a man and going to a cross and dying there, it came home to me that Jesus didn't just die for other people. He didn't just die for those people that were laid out there in Scripture somewhere. He died for me personally. And at eight years old, I came to my mother and I said, Mom, I, I need to receive Jesus as my Savior. 
And I remember my mom sitting me down and walking me through the gospel, the plan of salvation, and praying with me to personally invite Jesus to be my Lord and be my Savior. And I wonder if maybe there's somebody in your life who you could say they were the evangelist to you. Perhaps it's not one person. Perhaps it's a, it, it's a, it's a team of people who just tag-teamed it and shared with the gospel here, and you didn't receive Christ at that point, but then somewhere else, somewhere later on, someone else shared the gospel with you, and they evangelized you, and God brought the church to you. And God has given us everything that we need. He's given us the apostles. He's given us the prophets. He gave evangelists who have spread the church, but then he also has given us shepherds who are pastors. He's given us teachers to care for and to watch over and to nurture the church. Paul, addressing the Ephesians, Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And this is the calling of pastors, these elders, has nothing to do. It's not a reference to their age in comparison with the rest of the congregation. It is a term that means bishop or overseer or pastor. The Bible here specifically, Paul says, he's given us shepherds and teachers. And some would draw a distinction and say, is Paul really saying there that those are two separate offices? Well, let me, let me put it to you this way. Uh, all pastors teach, but not all teachers are pastors. We have teachers in this faith fellowship for which I am thankful. They teach in various Sunday school classes and, and 3M and, and, and different settings, Wednesday nights and other places. And I'm very thankful for them, but they're not called to be the shepherd or the pastor or the elder or the bishop of this congregation. So there are those that are called to, to specifically shepherd and pastor, and there are those that are called simply to, to teach and work under that leadership. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, it says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So you see the progression in how God has given us everything we need to, to succeed here as one of his churches. He's given us his word. He's given the, the apostles' doctrine in the New, New Testament and the, the, the prophets, the Old Testament scriptures. He's given evangelists that have, that have taken the gospel and gone various places, and every single one of us are here as a result of someone sharing the gospel with us. There are churches around the world because of those evangelists. And in every church, there's a pastor, there's a shepherd, there are teachers there that are faithfully standing and saying, the Word of God must be central to our community, to our gathering, and opening that and and feeding the flock with that. But it's not just the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers, but it's also, notice, every Christian, every Christian that has received a gift Verse 7, I just remind you again, says, but grace was given to each one of us. Paul's not simply there addressing this elite boardroom of, of those who are called into vocational ministry, who are sitting around and eating pastries and drinking coffee. He's addressing the church. And every single one of us in the church has been given a gift according to the measure of Christ's gift. And the question is, Why? If we've been given this gift, then why? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 gives us the answer. It says there, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And you may be sitting there today thinking, yeah, I, I believe that I'm a Christian. I believe Christ has saved me from my sin. But gifted? Hmm, I don't know about that. I don't think I have anything to bring to the table. The reality is the Bible says that every single one of us has been gifted by God for the common good. Not, not so that we use those for ourselves and, and just 
splurge on ourselves and, and squander those things for ourselves, but that we bring all those things to the table and we say, I have brothers and sisters who have been reached with the gospel, who have linked arms and covenanted together in this faith family, and it's my responsibility to use my gift to serve for the common good. There's not one of us in here that is unnecessary to the faith family at Abner Creek. We all bring something to the table that God has given to us. There's a number of lists of spiritual gifts in the Bible. There are over 20 different spiritual gifts in, in a variety of passages. There are in at least five different places there in different passages. None are, are ranked or ordered. In other words, there are none that, that are saying, well, the most important gift is this, and all others are subsequent to that. And there are none of those lists in those various places that are exhaustive. In, in other words, no, nobody, none of those writers are saying, these are the only gifts, and there are no more. Uh, I grew up in a time, and perhaps you did as well, when the spiritual gifts inventories were all the rage, and you take those things, and, and you might take it one week, and it, it shows this, and you might take it another week, and it shows this, and you think, I'm so confused, I don't know what I'm, how I'm gifted, you know, and I, you know, you hear people say, have a spouse fill it out for you, or have somebody that knows you well fill it out. But the reality is, I think John Piper puts it well when he said, your spiritual gift is the shape of God's grace flowing through your individuality. It's the shape of God's grace flowing through your individuality. I think God has, has indeed outlined some, some gifts that are going to be present in his congregation, in, in every faith family. But he's not said these are the only ones. So I would just tell you that every Christian has received a gift. So every everybody in here as a faith family can say God has given us everything we need. The second thing, though, I think that is present in this passage before us is that God has delegated certain responsibilities. According to verse 12, let me just ask the question, who is responsible for the work of ministry? Isn't it the saints? It says there in, in verse 12 that he's given all of these to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's why in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, there it reads, As each has received a gift, a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And so the, the work of ministry is the responsibility of, of the saints. What's the responsibility of the pastors? Is it not to equip the saints for the work of the ministry? Many people have the wrong attitude ab about this. We live in a day where it's easier to, to hire staff to accomplish the work of ministry than to actually take on ministry as a, as a member of a congregation. And, and I told the group Wednesday night, I don't necessarily think this is the case here. Now, I think to, a, to some degree, it, that attitude exists in every congregation, but I think for the most part, many of you are plugged in and serving in ministry somewhere, and I applaud you for it. But there are some who read verses 11 and 12 in Ephesians 4 this way. They would read it, and, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers for equipping the saints, comma, for the work of the ministry, comma, and for building the body of Christ. In other words, what they're saying when they read this is they think that the pastor and the ministry staff have a threefold job description. That the pastor is to equip the saints. In other words, give them what they ask for, feed them. To, his second job description uh, there on the list is to do the work of ministry. That's what we pay you for, right? Uh, you know, I don't hear this question anymore. Uh, I have heard this question before, and I've heard this question seriously before. You're a pastor. You only work like two days a week. What do you do the rest of the week? Right? And I, and I see pastors' wives and others out there snickering because you know. And there, there is this attitude of, well, pastor, we hired you. We, we brought you here. We pay you the big bucks just for that purpose so that you'll do the work of ministry. We don't want to, we don't want to do the work of ministry. And again, I'm not saying this is the attitude that pervades here. But it does exist. 
And the third item on the job description is build a church, pastor, grow it. And in some situations, in some circumstances, a pastor is treated a lot like a college football head coach is treated. If he doesn't turn the program around, and if he doesn't produce enough wins, and if it's an SEC team or whatever, and he doesn't get the championship, if he doesn't beat Alabama, go Clemson, right? Uh, then he's not going to be there very long. He can win every game but one. It's going to be gone. And that's how, unfortunately, some pastors are treated in some situations because this, this unbiblical idea of using church growth principles contrary to biblical principles has been so preached and so advocated for that a pastor is being judged on standards that the Bible never judges him by. And and I would just stand before you today as your pastor, and number one, thank you that you're not putting that kind of pressure on me. It is a joy to serve you as your pastor. But number two, I would say to you that that, uh, the way that certain people understand that part of Scripture is not Paul's original intention. The pastor has been given a word-based ministry of equipping church members to do the work of ministry. That's, again, why I'm so... And Matt made reference to it in in the Gospel Project in our Sunday school classes this morning as we opened those up and we read in Nehemiah how they read for six hours from the Bible. And the people stood and listened. Nobody nodded off, you know. Nobody was... You know, checking the apps on their phone, you know, no, in the middle of things, right? The pastor's given this word based ministry to, to live with a passage all week long, to pray over it, to study it, so that he can bring it to the people and say, Thus says the Lord. To equip the people of God. Now, there's a whole lot more that goes into it than that, but that's what God has given to pastors to, by and large, pray and study so they can preach and teach. This word based ministry given to pastors is for the purpose of equipping the church members to do the work of ministry. It doesn't mean that I won't ever do ministry, I do a lot of ministry, but it does mean that I should not be alone in ministry. As a result of this joint effort between a pastor who's given this word-based ministry, who's equipping the people of God, and the people of God taking on ministry and picking that up and, and just serving in all these different ways, what happens? The church is built. The church is built up. And this could mean built up in this inward spiritual development and spiritual growth that's occurring in the lives of the congregation. It could also mean that people from the community are hearing the gospel and coming in and being made disciples. But these two things, the pastor and the congregation work together in this. It's my responsibility to make you aware of this calling and to equip you in it. It's your responsibility to do it. And there's no easy way for me to say that. But I would just call your attention to the fact that it's not me who's saying it. Yes, my mouth's up here moving. This microphone's over my ear and not anyone else's. But it's coming from the text. It's coming from God. It's God's Word that tells us this. And here's what I would say to you. is that Our system here, we have a nominating committee every single year uh, that... It was made up of, uh, I think, four or six people or something like that on the nominating committee. And their task, their job every year is to approach you all with these various ministry positions and say, would you serve here? Would you prayerfully serve here? And, uh, and every single year, um, they talk to me. And they come back, and so many of them are discouraged. And they'll say things like, would you please preach a sermon about serving in the church because we can't get anybody to say yes to anything? Right? And you all are quiet at this point because either you say, man, I'm saying yes every, every year. I didn't know I could say no. Right? And that may be you. Right? Or maybe you're quiet because you've been one that has said no over and over again. And there's some conviction there. My, my objective today is not to, to throw a guilt grenade so that it blows up at your feet. But my objective is to show you what God calls us to 
and then let the Holy Spirit do the work through his word. And so I, I would just ask you, just I would implore you to not make the, the nominating committee's job harder than it has to be. To make their job a joy. Now, I understand there are certain things that maybe God's not calling you to and the timing is not right and, and God is saying, no, you don't need to serve there. And for those reasons, I would say to you, then absolutely tell them no. And they would tell you the same thing. But I've got a suspicion that some are saying no before they're even considering praying about it and asking the Lord, would you have me serve here? And so consider that. And, and if the Lord leads, and, and if the Lord opens the door, then serve gladly. You, you may think, well, I don't know what that would be, or they've not asked me to do anything. Well, make that known. Come see me. And if you've not been approached about doing anything, then, hey, I can put a little bug in, in an ear, right? If you want to get in ministry, we'll get you in ministry, right? But we want this to be willingly, with a cheerful heart on your part, okay? We, we want this to be the case, uh, that, that we serve together as a church, that we're in partnership together. We want this to be a good fit, and we want it to, uh, to be... Um, to be beneficial to God's church and to God's glory. Well, let me just ask this, the third, third thing, and kind of coming toward the end here. What happens when each one is filling their role? If God's given these positions, given everyone a gift, he's called the pastor to equip, he's called the members to take up ministry, what happens when everyone's serving in these roles? Well, Two possibilities, or, or, or one possibility. There, there are at least three different things here that happen when everyone's serving in their roles. Number one is the church becomes more unified. And you say, well, that doesn't make any sense. It seems like it'd be the opposite. If everybody's doing their own thing, and they're all just going every which way, it seems like the church would be more divided than ever, right? You ever kicked an anthill? There's no, Peter's not here, right? Okay. You kick an anthill, and you see what happens. All of a sudden, man, ants go everywhere. They're all going their own di- different direction. You come back to that anthill in just a couple hours, what's going to be the case? Hmm? They have rebuilt that thing. And that's the reality here. The key for this is found in verses 4 through 6. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. The reality is, when we're asking you to do ministry, to take this up and find a ministry and get plugged in and do this, we're not asking you to have your own agenda. We're asking you to come rally around the central mission and purpose of God, which is the worship of God. By doing these things. And just as those ants that seem to be all scattered and chaotic, we will all be working for the same thing in the end. Notice uh, there in, uh, in verse 13. The Bible says there in verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Here's the reality. Every one of us are in different places spiritually. Every single one of us make up I mean, we're so diverse in where we stand in our walk with the Lord. Some are just getting started. And man, you feel like a baby Christian and you look around and you say, man, I don't know, I don't know a thimble's worth of what a lot of these people know. And I, I don't know that I belong here. And the reality is you belong here just like anybody else belongs here. None of us got here by our own merits. None of us deserve to be here. We are here because Jesus died for us. He lived for us and He died for us and He called us to Himself. The Spirit pleads adoption for us, right? You may be here and you think, well, I've been at this for a long time. I kind of know things. i got it all together. Don't get filled with pride because you don't know as much as you think you do. But you do know enough to come alongside someone who's just getting started and to help them. Every single one of us are at different places in our spiritual growth. The language here reminds us that we are not to go it alone. I have written, I just wrote up here above this passage and that verse in my Bible when I underlined we all until we all attain. And I wrote right above it, collectively, together, no lone rangers. 
There's this, we're all going to attain to this measure of Christ-likeness together. It's not like we're all going at it alone and it's, it's an individual project and maybe you'll finish before some of us, uh, some of the others do. You've been in those classes where you take these tests, these standardized tests, you fill in the bubbles, and you always feel bad because everybody else seems to finish before you do. It's because they're not reading the questions, they're just making Christmas trees, Right? Look, the goal here is not for us to finish at a certain point before someone else. It's for us all to come along and say, we're all seeking to attain to the unity of Christ. The unity of any church must be fleshed out at the level of individuals. Individual people must make decisions to use their giftedness in the work of, uh, in the work of ministry for a common purpose. I want to see if we can. I think we're going to bring the, the logo up on the screen. Not that logo, but the church logo. And you've seen this. You've seen it on your bulletins, on the website, big on the wall out there when you come in. Um, this logo is designed to communicate what we're talking about here. Individuals. You see the individual blocks. Individuals coming together from various places and backgrounds, all coming together to form the community of the cross. If you look at it the reverse way, it's different individual pieces, still individual. We don't, we don't lose our sense of identity. We don't lose our, our uniqueness as we come together. This is, we're not preaching a cult-like uh, existence here. You're individuals, and we're going out from one another, out from the cross to accomplish the work of the good news that the cross brings. Diversity is seen in the various shapes and shades that make up our logo. And, and unity is seen in the fact that all are necessary to form the community of the cross. And that's why we have that logo that we do. It's because we're not in this thing alone. We are called together to be this faith family. That is the family of God, the bride of Christ. Well, the second thing happens when everyone is taking up their responsibility and, and, and their ministry is knowledge of the Son of God. In verse 13, the second part there, and I'm running out of time, I'm going to try to hurry. I think this happens. We come to a knowledge of the Son of God in at least three different ways when we take up our ministry. Number one is Jesus said, Son of Man has not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. As we look around and we see brothers and sisters serving in ministry, guess what we see? You know, he looks a lot like Jesus. You know, she resembles Jesus. Look at the way they serve. It reminds me, it pushes me toward Christ. We come to the knowledge of the Son of God. There's a second way we come to the knowledge of the Son of God as we serve, because we identify with Christ and we follow his example. We find ourselves in the middle of service and there's, a, there's something about serving and getting our hands dirty where you learn things that way that you couldn't learn any way else. You, you learn because you're doing. And we, we, we know what Jesus went through as we seek to serve our brothers and our sisters. And the third way we come to the knowledge of the Son of God is when, when the congregation is doing the work of ministry, it frees up the pastor to continue his responsibility to teach and to preach the Scriptures. And this book, the Bible, from the Old Testament prophets to the New Testament apostles, is the story of Jesus Christ. And we come to the knowledge of the Son of God as, I'm freed up to teach this to you. We are unified. We come to the knowledge of the Son of God. And then third is this. There is a maturity that comes as we serve. As each one takes up his ministry, maturity comes. That's what the end of verse 13 says, that we're brought to mature manhood. Again, this is not an individual goal, but a collective one. It says we're brought to the, the, measure of the, the mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And what this means is that this is to be the standard or the bar or the goal, that Jesus and, and being like him is what we are to aim for. F.F. F. Bruce said it this way, the glorified Christ provides the standard at which his people are to aim. The corporate Christ, i.e. the church, cannot be content to fall short of the perfection of the personal Christ. Too many churches are settling 
for less than Christ-likeness. Too many churches are, are, are looking at what the Bible calls them to and what the Bible says that they are in Jesus and saying, yeah, I know it says that, but we got a lot of tradition here. and we got a lot of history here, and it would just be really hard, and it would be really hurtful for us to tackle that. And so we're just going to kind of look at this and say, that's not a hill that we're to die on. And there are certain hills that we don't have to die on. But Christ-likeness is not one of those. We must not, we cannot compromise that. Together, we are seeking to attain this mature manhood, this unity, this knowledge of the Son of God as we strive together. And the way we do that is to minister to each other. Just call your attention to, and I don't have time to preach the rest of this passage. I'm going to shut it down here. Um, Not because I think anybody's going to say, hey, we went long today, but just because I kind of feel like this is this is enough. I'll just call your attention to the rest of, of the passage, 14 through 16. The reality is, if we don't pick up ministry and serve, if, if, we, if we as a congregation are content just to sit back and just to let everyone serve us, pastor preach sermons to me, Sunday school teachers teach, teach lessons to me, you know, provide activities for my children, If we just sit back and if if we adopt that mentality, the reality is we will be anything but what is described earlier. We will not be unified. And many of you have come out of churches where you realize this is the case. The reason it was so divided and, and people were bickering and complaining as much as they were is because people were not active in ministry. There's, there's an, uh, an old adage that is so true that the, the people who are rowing the boat don't have time to complain about the rocking of the waves. The reality is, if we will take up ministry, we will be these things. But if we don't, if we sit back and adopt this mindset, verse 14 tells us that we will be immature, that we will be like little children. It says that we will, we will lack direction that we will be tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Simply because we have so much time on our hands from not doing anything and sitting back and saying, serve me. When people aren't serving a common vision, they tend to get their own ideas about how things should be done and the direction that should be taken. And look, we're all for creativity here. I want you to be creative, and I want you to follow the Spirit's lead. Perhaps there's a ministry that does not exist here yet that that God may lead one of you to begin. But it must fit the framework of what God calls us to do. If it's not the common purpose of rebuilding the anthill, then it has no business being here, right? And you know what I'm talking about when I mean... Rebuilding the anthill is the cross. And the coming in and around the cross and the going out for and from the glory of the cross. It must shape everything that we do. Because verses 15 and 16 tells us that God's ultimate goal for the church, let me just read it again. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. In every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Church member today, I would just challenge you and encourage you. If you're in ministry, if you're serving in some way, and you may think, man, it's meaningless. Nobody knows what's going on. I'm I'm never appreciated. Let me just tell you something. If we've not expressed that appreciation to you, then we're sorry for that. And we're human, and and we may be overlooking you, but it does not mean that what you're doing is not important. We're thankful for you. Keep going. There are some some just behind-the-scenes tasks around here that just, I mean, we need them. And, and many of you are filling those, those roles, and thank you for that. Perhaps you're sitting here today, church member, and you're saying, I'm not in any ministry. I'm kind of convicted today, and maybe I should take up some kind of ministry, but I have no idea where to start. I have no idea where to plug in. If that's you and you need some help, let me just ask you to do this. Schedule some time with me or with Ethan 
or with Matt. Talk to the ministry leaders. Perhaps you already have a sense of how God's gifted you and wired you, and you say, I think, I, I think I'd be good there. Is there a place for me? Then pursue that, knowing that in certain situations we've set up some stops. There, there are certain situations where we've set up some parameters, like when, if you want to teach or if you want to teach our children or work with our children, we've set up some parameters to protect our, our children and to protect the doctrine uh, of the congregation that you have to, have to have been here and been a member for a little while. And that's all laid out for us in our bylaws. We're not doing that because we think it's us and we don't want anybody else in. We're doing that because we think we have a responsibility that we must guard, okay? Um, so perhaps you may come up against a stop if you've not quite been here long enough or if you're not a member. That's not anything against you. It's just we're, we're trying to be responsible. But there are so many other ways that are outside of those where you can get plugged in. There are even areas where you, if you're not a church member yet, you can get plugged in and serve. So schedule some time with, with myself or Ethan or Matt and let us talk. Let us help you to find your place of ministry. We'll be glad to help you do that. Remember, that's part of our role is to equip you for the work of ministry, okay? So come see us about that. Let me pray for us, and let's just pray that God will continue to build his church. Lord Jesus, we love you. God, thank you that you have so loved us, that you've given us the church as a gift. Lord, it's so easy to talk about the church as if it's just some out there, um, big abstract kind of gift. But Lord, what it really is, Lord, is, is, is a bunch of people just like us. And you've given us one another. And you've given us a common mission and a common goal. You've invited us into the work of redemption that you are doing for the sake of your glory in our neighborhoods and the nations. So God, I pray, Lord, that you'd move on us to take up ministry, whether it's stuffing cards in, in seat pockets, or whether it's being on the platform, or whether it's in some other role in some way, God, lead us. Lead your people, God. Lead us to take up ministry. Lead us to love you by loving your church well. God, we ask you to do this for your own glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to give you an opportunity to reflect and respond. Perhaps you're here and this message has particularly hit you. And you know God's He's speaking to you. He's urging you to do something, to follow through in some way in obedience. We want to, we've built this time into our service so that you can take that step. So do that. I'm going to come down off the platform. I'll sit on this front row. If you need to speak with me, come speak with me. If you need prayer, then you can pray here in your seat in a prayer room. If, if the Lord's leading you to be a part of this faith family and you need to start that conversation, then I'll be here on the front row. Come speak to me. Whatever it is, whatever it is that the Lord is leading you to do, just be obedient today. Say yes and follow Him. Let's worship.
teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.